0: Thank you. I'm getting gifts. (laughs) I know I trip over that. All right. Good morning. It's exciting to be together again. If you'll take your Bibles and turn to John eight, John eight, and/or your devices. things I want to mention to you, and then we will get into God's Word. Number one, this Saturday is the third Saturday of the month, so we will be where? Uh-oh, we have to start all over. Barley Campus, if you can be there this Saturday, the help group from, uh, really from nine to noon is the critical time. If you want to come early and help set up about eight o'clock, you can do that, Um want to hang around afterwards and help tear down you can do that. I'll be in charge this week because Chris Ellison is out of town so it's going to be a nightmare uh, on steroids. So if if you can be there Saturday uh, that'd be great because we always need a lot of help on the parking lot as well as in the gym. So it's this coming Saturday at the Bartlett campus. Also just one thing I do want to mention to you as you're looking through the bulletin reading everything that's going on and August 11th, we're going to kick off again and uh, do some stuff together on Wednesday night. Really just kind of come together in the middle of the week for some time to encourage one another and spend some time together. Students be across the street and with children and and either in here or all the other rooms I'll be doing, probably in here, do, uh, if you want to come and eat, you can do that and we get the food from Pink Flamingo and uh, they don't have bad food. I've never eaten anything from there that was not really good. So... Um, like everything else, prices have gone up. So here's what I want to say to you. I want to make sure you hear me. So everybody look up here and go, woo! got that ugly shirt on. Okay. We're, we're watching. Mary hates this shirt. Yes, dear. I know I wore the shirt because you were asleep when I put it on. All right. If you want to just come on Wednesday night and spend some time together, praying for one another, praying together and being around the word, then just show up at 630 and do that. That's absolutely fine. If you want to come. And, and eat, sit around the table and eat with us at 6 o'clock, that's fine as well. There's no stigma. It's kind of like wearing masks. If you want to wear a mask, you wear one, and we respect and we love each other. If you don't want to wear one, that's fine as well. We love one another. So if you want to come Wednesday and just spend some time, kind of midweek uh, uh, time together, starting August 11th, and the information's there, how to sign up, that kind of thing. You can talk to Rhianna, and she's really the only one who knows what's going on. I'm just here. So... Starting the 11th. If you want to again, just if you want to wait and come at 6:30, just to, or you can even come earlier and bring your own food. Uh, that, that's fine too. Uh, we're just providing it if you want it. All right, John, chapter 8. If you will turn there. Here's my plan for today. It's a, it's a bold one. Look at your outline. See how much there is. Guess what my goal is for today. I'm going to not the first point. That had to be Pat Brown that said that. My goal for today is to finish this outline. You know what the good thing about having goals is? Don't clap. I'm not doing it now. You know what the good thing about goals is? You know you're not going to make them anyway. When I was in the greeting card business, we had one of the best districts in the entire nation every year. Our boss was a tough man, but we always did well. And every January we would have our meeting to look back over the previous calendar year. And, you know, they had chalkboards or uh, later whiteboards. You know what? He would always write on the board, "What you've done in the past is never good enough. Will never be good enough again." We're like, well, "Why do we try so hard every year?" And one guy said, "Cause you get bonus money, Dumbo." I said, "Oh yeah, what you've done in the past will never be good enough again." That was his statement. That was his meeting every January. We knew it was going to happen, and we all went in, and, and he was pretty excited about it. All right, till he, till he had to leave. Now. John chapter 8, my goal for today, I want us to walk through, this is such a very powerful thing, but I want us to finish this statement again. We're not looking at the statement, I am per se, we've already done that in the prologue. What I really want to focus on, this dialogue that Jesus is having with the Jews about what it means to be free, because they were so proud of the fact they were Abraham's children, that we are uh, descendants of of Abraham. We're not slaves to anyone despite the fact they've been slaves to Egypt. They've been slaves to uh, Babylonia. They've been slaves to Medo-Persia. But they had a self-righteous, arrogant attitude and we're not slaves to anyone. We're children of Abraham. And so Jesus wanted them to understand they were in bondage. They were in bondage to sin. They were in bondage to Satan. And he wanted them to understand that even as religious as they were, that they totally missed it. He wanted them to say To see that I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of your fathers. That that's me. I am God in the flesh. I am the Savior. I am the Messiah. I am the one that Abraham looked forward to. We've talked about that a little bit. So what we're going to look at today is that Jesus said, Before Abraham was, I am. And you look at number one there, Jesus promised there's no death for believers. We're going to look at that oxymoron from a human perspective and see exactly what Jesus was talking about. Because from the Jews' perspective, everything was physical. Everything was temporal. Everything was earthly. They wanted the Messiah to come, overthrow Rome, set up the kingdom on earth, and the Jews would finally rule, as was their right, as the chosen ones, the children of God. All of those things were good, except they missed God. They missed who the Messiah was, what his true mission was. It was to come to redeem spiritually and bring a heavenly, eternal kingdom into the hearts and lives of people. And they, the Jews, were the chosen instrument of God, the children of Israel, to bring that message to the world. And they got so wrapped up in their physical and, and who we are and their self-righteousness. And That's the key with the crowd he's talking to today, that their self Righteous. But they felt like they were right enough before God as long as they kept their rules and their regulations as pertained to the law. Paul wrote about that in Philippians. When it came to the law, I was blameless. I did not sin. They believed that about themselves. You know how you know that's not true? You just got to watch them for a little while. And then Jesus straightened it out this way with the Sermon on the Mount. He just kind of raised the bar to the point nobody could reach it when he said... Even if you haven't committed a sin, if you've thought about it, you're what? You're guilty. And so his point being, you're all guilty. And Paul writes about that in Romans. Whether you're a pagan, whether you're a Jew, whether you're a Gentile, whatever group you fall in, you're guilty. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And that was written by the Apostle Paul, who was one of those As Saul of Tarsus prior to his conversion, he was one of these that Jesus is talking to. These Pharisees who were self-righteous, everything was based on their resume, and then Paul got saved, and he realized his resume was a pile of manure, his words. That I am, there is no righteousness in me, there are none righteous, no, not one. I have to come to God, and Jesus said, you come to me, you believe me, you receive me, you accept me. And you don't have to worry about death any longer. I'm going to set you free from that. That's what this dialogue is about. Yes, before Abraham was I am. I am the eternal God. But because I am the eternal God, and I am God in the flesh, Emmanuel, God with us, promised by Isaiah, I can see to you, I give you life, both now and forever. So let's look at let's start in verse fifty one, Jesus point. Physical death is not eternal. Verse 51, most assuredly I say to you, Jesus speaking, if anyone keeps my word, he shall never see death. Jesus' intro to, to getting into the meat of this and explaining to them, it begins with, most assuredly I say to you. And the best way to translate that in so that we really understand the import of what Jesus is about to say is this, I who have absolute authority now speak to you absolute truth. Therefore, you should what? Pay attention. I who have absolute authority over the universe now speak to you absolute truth. I suggest you listen because they didn't like listening to Jesus Christ. So here's what he says. If anyone, I with absolute authority speak to you absolute truth, and here it is. If anyone keeps my word, he shall never see death. Remember, context, crowd, who he's talking to, first thing he says to them is if anyone, that one little statement is very powerful because those Jews didn't believe that the Gentiles, the non-Jews, the Samaritans, the half-breeds, those who weren't like them, they didn't believe that they could be made righteous, only if they became like them. So Jesus starts out, the very first thing he says is going to get on their radar and calls them, wait a minute, who's this guy I think he is? If anyone, not just you self-righteous, bigoted, racist Jews, but if anyone, verse 51, keeps my word, he shall never see death. Now, if you take that verse out of context, Jesus is saying, see, just like they would say, it's all about works. You've got to keep my word. Hang on. What does he mean by that? Shall never see death. You will never see death. That's an oxymoron because how many of us are going to die? How many of them are going to die? Pointed on the man wants to die, and after that, judgment. There's the key, understanding. Of. So he's obviously going to teach them an eternal, very specific, spiritual truth. You're not going to see death. Death is defined as the end of being alive. That's the way it's defined. The end of being alive. This oxymoron. Here's Jesus' point. Your physical body, remember, their whole focus was physical, context, crowd. Your physical body one day will end. And it's going to be rotting in a tomb somewhere. But the essence of who you are, who you are, your soul, what makes you, you will live forever. And you don't have to worry about it. Now, he's not talking about physical death. We know, for example, he raised Lazarus from the dead. Lazarus was physically dead. Jesus intentionally waited four days, so there'd be no doubt when he got there that Lazarus was a corpse. As a matter of fact, when he got there, what did they say? Lord, by now he stinks. He's a corpse. And then Jesus said, Lazarus, come here, come forth. And the corpse comes walking out of that tomb. Was there any doubt he had raised him from the dead? The answer is no. But at some point later in life, we don't know when, obviously, but at some point, Lazarus, who had been raised from the dead by Jesus Christ, did what? Died again. But because he was in Christ, he'd been raised to new life that was eternal, and he got his new resurrection body, and he went to heaven. He's with Christ. What's Jesus wanting him to understand? You'll never see death. Your soul will live forever. Our death as believers leads to a beautiful resurrection and a new body, a glorified body that will live forever. Paul writes about it this way in 1 Corinthians. Also, is the resurrection of the dead. The body is sown in corruption, physical body, it's raised, new body, and in incorruption. It is sown in dishonor, it's raised in glory, it is sown in weakness, it's raised in power, it is sown a natural body, physical, earthly, it's raised a spiritual body. There's a natural body and there's a spiritual body. And it goes on to say death is swallowed up in victory, the victory of Jesus Christ at the resurrection. So what Jesus says here in verse 51, one more time, I say to you, if anyone keeps my word, he shall never see death. The little word never there in Greek is highly emphasized. So let me read it to you the way the original language would be. Verse 51, if anyone keeps my word, he shall never, ever, ever see death. He's like screaming at them. Listen to me. All you're thinking about is physical, 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 and I'm telling you, I can handle that for you. You come to me. You keep my word. We'll get to that in a moment. And you will never have to worry about physical death because it will not be an issue for you. That's why the Bible, in this very room yesterday, right there on that floor that you are seated on, and I stood right down there, we did a memorial service for Kay Key, who's been with this church from the moment we opened this campus, Kay was here. Helping me, she she had been, it was in Beverly and Donna's class. and the, Anytime I needed something, Kay, well, she answered the phone for me. She just did everything. that I Anything I'd ask her to do, it's a sweet, gentle person who loved Jesus. We sat right here yesterday, did a memorial service for her. Because the Bible says the moment Kay passed away on July 5th, where did she go? She went home. The Bible says the moment Kay passed away on July 5th was the best day of her life. The Bible says... Then when Kate passed away on July 5th, her father said, that's precious, my little girl's coming home. You see, death for us, as Paul says, has no sting. The grave has no victory in our lives. Why? Because we've been set free by Jesus Christ. This very chapter earlier we saw, he said, if the Son will set you free, you're free indeed. Why? Because he's the truth. These guys lived a lie. They were self-righteous. and Jesus said, that doesn't cut it. No matter how good you are, you're still a sinner. But I can set you free, and death is not an issue for you. So the other thing is physical death is not final. It's not the end. It's not final. Judgment awaits, quoted Hebrews 9.27. And in Revelation says, Blessed and holy is the one who shares in the first resurrection or is born again. Over such the second death has no power. Second death, you read Revelation, well, we'll go back and read all, we're not going to read all those verses, but second death in Revelation is the ultimate destination of those who reject Jesus Christ. It's called the lake of fire. Second death. But the Bible clearly says, we just quoted Revelation, that the second death has no power in the lives of believers. We don't have to worry about the great white throne judgment for non-believers because we are his children. And children go home We're his, he's our father. We'll be judged for our works, but not our destination because we're in Christ. We're born again. Best example in history, in scripture, is the thief on the cross. Where did Jesus tell him he would be that day? Paradise. Today, you'll be with me, Jesus, in paradise. This was a convicted, heinous, criminal who didn't do anything good he didn't get off the cross and get baptized he didn't get off the cross and give any money to the church he didn't get off the cross and do good deeds he died and went where to paradise with jesus and jesus set those free that were in hate we're not getting into all that we ain't got time but he went to be with christ because he trusted he turned to Jesus and simply said, Lord, would you remember me when you come into your kingdom? And If you read closely the Gospels, prior to saying that to Jesus, he had been mocking Jesus just like the other thief had been. Both were mocking Christ and then it clicked in his mind, this guy is the Messiah. He's the Savior. And he asked him to save him. So it can happen on your deathbed, can it? But that's not Jesus' point here. Let's read on. So Jesus has a condition. Verse 51. Keep my word, you'll never see death. And the Jews said to him, now we know you have a demon. Now we know you have a demon. Abraham is dead and the prophets. And you say, if anyone keeps my word, he'll never taste death. Keep my word. Now what does Jesus mean by that? So hang with me. It's very important. When I trust Christ as my Savior, God declares me righteous in him positionally. I'm born again. I'm his child. He gives to me eternal life. For me, April 19, 1970, I was born again. 51 years ago. At some point in time, not this moment, but it could be today. It could be before I finish this sermon. If I don't make it through, Jerry, you're up. So It could be tomorrow. It could be next year. I could live another 20 years. Or Jesus could come back. So here's the point. He declared me righteous in Christ and he gave me heaven as my inheritance. Why? Because I'm a really good boy? Trust me, at age 16, I wasn't a really good little boy. It's because I trusted what he did at the cross. I said, Lord, would you forgive me and save me? And he declared me righteous in Christ and said, you are mine, Jesus, said, no one could ever take you out of my hand and I will be with you always. When I die, I'm going to heaven because I'm in Christ and that's the only reason. Love the great illustration. Someone was standing at the Pearly Gates. I hate that illustration. We talking about the Peter doing that. But just bear with me for a moment. He said, "Why am I going to let you in?" Jesus was standing there. said, "Because I'm with Him." You get in because you're in Christ. That's it. No other reason. Now, practically, I've been living 51 years as a Christian. Have I always pleased God? Let me answer that for you. No. There are times when I really displeased my Father. I know that. He knows that. He convicts me, chastens me, disciplines me. So here's what he's saying. You read it throughout scripture and you study it, but let me sum it up for you. Number one, when he says, keep my word, here's what he means. Number one, hear it. Read Revelation. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Or in other words, something I'm very weak at, listen. 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 When your wife says something, listen. Listen to people. Here's what Jesus is saying. Hear my word. Listen to what I've got to say. Figure out that it applies to you when I say these things. That's number one. Number two, believe it. Put your faith in it. When Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life, no one comes to the Father but by me, what does he mean by that? Listen. He means I'm the only way you'll ever enter into the presence of God and know him as father is if you come to him through me. Not by your religion, Jews. Not by your, some other way, whatever your philosophy of life or belief system. He says the only way you're ever going to know the eternal God who is real, the great I am, which by the way I am, the only way you're ever going to know him is you've got to come through me. You, you hear that? Listen. Secondly, you believe it, that it's the truth And that it applies to you. That Jesus died. I I love the way it was illustrated to me. when The guy that led me to Christ. I don't know how I can still remember that as long ago as it was. But he said when John 3.16 says, for God so loved the world. Just insert your name in there. For God so loved you, Randy Lockley. And man, it was just like, wow. Because I'd grown up in church. But when I, I mean, I was at church every Sunday. My mom made us go. You could walk. You, you jumped our back fence. You were on the church property, so we didn't have an excuse. Like I don't have a ride. I played basketball back there seven days a week, so you, know, you could walk to church. We were there every Sunday, but no one ever explained the gospel to me. No one ever said this. I was terrified of God, and then someone explained it to me. That guy sat me down and said, "He died for you. He died for the things you do wrong. He died for your sin, the ones you haven't even committed yet that you're going to commit over your lifetime. He died for every one of them because he loves you." And he wants to save you from the wrath to come. I hear it. Listen. I believe that it applies to me personally. Not to everybody else. I'm good. I'm good. You've heard me talk about my siblings. My older brother, agnostic. He doesn't know what he believes. And my younger brother, his, his philosophy of life is me and God got our own thing going on. It's a great country song, but it, ain't, it don't cut it. With God, philosophy of life. So Jesus says, this is who I am. I hear it. I believe that it applies to me. And I place my faith in it. And he declares me righteous in Christ. And then he says, now Randy, you obey my word. Obey my word. That's the hard part. Living it out. Obedience. You go through the Bible and you look at Examples of faith. Inexorably, every single time, here's what you're going to find. Abraham believed God or exercised faith, and it was counted to him as righteousness. God declared him righteous. And what was the first thing Abraham did? He got up and went, because God said what? Go. He obeyed. Now, do you always obey? I'll raise my hand and say no. But when I don't obey, who, who hurts? Me, How many mistakes has God ever made in my life? None. How many have I made? Too many to count. So he said, "Trust me, that's where the faith comes in, and now obey me. That's what Jesus is saying. You want to keep my word. Trust me that I with absolute authority absolute authority, speak to you, absolute truth. Believe it. Intellectually, that's true. I surrender to it. That's what faith is. I surrender to it. I believe it. Same word in Greek, pistis. Now, once a noun, one, noun, once a verb. Believe, faith. I believe it, and then I act on it. I obey it. Keep my word. Someone said, and I don't know who it is, but talked about it, explained it this way. James one twenty two. Chris Ellison's favorite verse is what? Rhett. Be doers of the word and not hearers only. Those who hear and believe faith, then obey. Someone put it this way. Faith alone saves. I am not saved by works. Please don't leave here and say Randy said that. You are saved by faith alone and Christ alone. But let me read you the whole quote. Faith alone saves, but the faith that saves is never alone. End quote. Because here's the deal. Once Jesus saves me, what am I interested in doing at that point? If I'm genuinely born again, it's just that, he, that I, I bought me a ticket and I get to go to heaven one day? That's true. But if I'm born again and the Holy Spirit enters my life, he's going to constantly, for the rest of my life on planet Earth, convict me to do what is Christ-like. Justification, I'm born again. Glorification, I'm going home. But for the rest of my life, sanctification takes place. I want to be more like Christ tomorrow than I am today because that gives me a greater opportunity to share Christ with my world, family, peers, whoever. I want to obey. If that were not the case, God would save us and then do, do what? The moment we got saved, He would do what? Take us home. Why does the church exist? One reason. What is it? To go into all the world and make disciples. Learner followers of Jesus Christ. You cannot make a learner follower of something you ain't following. You can quote me on that if you'd like. You follow him. Jesus said, deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me. Deny yourself, be willing to die, die to self, and now come follow me. It will be hard. He said it would. He promised us it would be hard. You'll be persecuted. It'll be difficult. But I've already given you heaven. It's worth it. I've already given you eternal life. I've given you peace. I've given you joy. I've given you hope. Tell people about it. Share it with them. You won the lottery. That would be maybe a great way to witness Go out to people in Kroger. we talked about this over the years. Go out to people in Kroger, tap on the shoulder and go, hey, I just won the lottery. I want to give you some of it. And they're like, all right. And then share with them what you want in Christ. You're a winner. These guys were just beat down with the law and their self-righteousness and wanted to keep everybody else down there with them. And Jesus said, I want to bring you out of that. Told Nicodemus, one of them, he told Nicodemus, you just got to be born again. I love the, this is how, quintessential example. Nicodemus, who was the dean of the college, said, "How do how, you know how do I get right with God?" He said, "You got to be born again." And what was Nicodemus' response? You want me to go back inside my mom's womb? He didn't get it because everything to them was physical. So now Jesus gives him some proofs that He's who He said He is. Look at verse fifty-two. The end of it. Jesus said, anyone keeps my word, he shall never taste death. 53. So they say, are you greater than our father Abraham, who is dead? And the prophets are dead? Who do you make yourself out to be? In other words, let's say this in a vernacular we might use today. Jesus, they turn to Jesus and say, what? Who do you think you are? Are you greater than Abraham? We're going to get there. Who do you think you are? Context. The Jews' focus, read through the Gospels. Paul put it this way Jews are always seeking a sign. Go through the Gospels. The Jews' focus was always on the physical. Even that illustration a moment ago about Nicodemus, after Jesus says to him, you must be born again, he said, you want me to go back into my mother's womb? Jesus begins to illustrate it for him. And the whole thing, read the dialogue, John 3, you read the dialogue, it's always contrast, physical, spiritual, physical, spiritual, physical, spiritual. Jesus said in one point, he said, you can't see the wind, can you? No. Can you see the result of the wind? Sure you can. It's there. The results you see, you can't see the Holy Spirit in, in you. You can't see the Holy Spirit in our midst, but he's here. What you can see is how it's manifested in our individual lives and in our corporate life as the church. They still didn't get it. Their focus was always physical. Physical death here is what Jesus is dealing with. So verse 53, they they don't have an answer to Jesus So the old ploy is when you don't have an answer to the message, what do you do? You attack the messenger. Who do you think you are? And in Greek, by the way, this verse 53 in the original language is very aggressive, very antagonistic. They're like getting in his face, for lack of a better term, and saying, who do you think you are to talk to us like this? We're children of Abraham. Who do you make yourself out to be? Look at verse 52 one more time. Now we know you have a demon. Talked about this last week. Now one, you're making yourself greater than Abraham. You've got to be possessed by a demon to be doing that. Now Jesus' response, verse 54. Jesus answered, if I honor myself, my honor is nothing. It is my father who honors me, of whom you say, he's your God. Yet you have not known him, but I know him. And if I say I do not know him, I shall be a liar like you. But I do know him. And I keep his word. So here's Jesus' answer to their attack. Who do you think you are? Number one, here's Jesus' first proof. Of who he is. I have the honor of God the Father. Jesus says to them, self-glorification, if I honor myself, that doesn't mean anything as a human being. Self-glorification is not meaning anything in the eyes of God like you have. But God the Father honors me. That's the honor that I am looking for. You say that's the honor you're looking for as a Jew, as a Pharisee, as a scribe. As a righteous Jew, you say you love God the Father and you want his honor, but really what you want is self-glorification, self-righteousness, and you want all the people to follow you and be like you. I said the Father honors me. Let me turn over for just a moment. I want to do, this. I think this will help. Turn over to John 17 for just a moment. Verse 1. So Jesus said, The Father honors me or glorifies me as I do him. When you get to John 17, this is the end of the upper room discourse. Jesus is going to begin to pray as he's leaving the upper room to go to Gethsemane, to go to the cross. He's with the 11, they're going to carry on after he's gone. He's given them the great principles of the kingdom after he's gone. Look how he prays, John 17. Jesus spoke these words. He lifted up his eyes to heaven and he said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son, that your son also may glorify you, as you have given him the son authority over all flesh, that he, may, that he should give eternal life to as many as you have given him. And this is the eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent I have glorified you on the earth. I finished the work which you've given me to do. And now, O oh Father, glorify me together with yourself. I, I absolutely love verse 5. I love to just meditate on this verse. Father, glorify me together with yourself, with the glory which I had with you before the world was. He said, This is the great eternal plan of redemption that we laid out before there was even a human race. The hour has come. This was agony for Jesus. You've read the story in Gethsemane, he's sweating blood. And the agony was that the father was going to turn his back on the son and Jesus Christ on the cross my God my God why have you forsaken me go through the gospels every time Jesus addresses God what does he call him father except that one time my God my God he'd never known being forsaken they'd always been one one God but he was the one mediator between God and men Christ Jesus Jesus that's how much he loves me. And he's willing to do that. John Wolvern, in his great commentary on this passage, says this, what we're looking at. When accused, Jesus did not seek to justify himself. He committed his case to the heavenly judge, knowing that even if people judge the son falsely, the father will reverse their verdict and vindicate him. While we're in John seventeen, flip back to John twelve for just a moment. John twelve. Verse twenty-three. Twelve twenty-three. Just talking about the hour. Jesus answered them, twelve twenty-three. Saying, the hour has come that the Son of Man should be glorified, honored as God. Most assuredly, I say to you, there it is again, I with absolute authority speak to you absolute truth. Most assuredly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it produces much grain. He who loves his life will lose it. He who hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. If anyone serves me, let him follow me. And where I I am there with my servants will be also. If anyone serves me, him my Father will honor. Now go back to John 8. Here's what Jesus is saying. You do with me as you will. The Father knows and will honor me. And if you want to be honored by the Father, you're going to have to follow me. That's what we do. In Acts chapter 3, the Bible says this. When Peter saw it, he responded to the people. Men of Israel, why do you marvel at this? Or why look so intently at us? As though by our own power or godliness we had made this man walk. They had healed a man. The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our fathers, glorified his servant Jesus whom you delivered up and denied in the presence of Pilate when he was determined to let him go. Even though the Roman pagan, Pilate, wanted to let him go, Peter is saying to those Jews there, Jerusalem, you delivered up the Son of God, the Messiah, to be crucified. God honored him, despite your dishonor of him. Now back to John 8, verse 54. Jesus, if I honor myself, my honor is nothing. It is my Father who honors me, of whom you say he's your God, yet you have not known him, but I know him. If I say I don't know him, I'll be a liar like you, but I do know him, and I keep his word. Verse 55, when Jesus says to them, you've not known God, here's what he means, or in the original language, here's what it means. There's like four different words that are used for know in the New Testament. This one means not just intellectually know something, but it means experientially know. We talked about earlier, like I could be told something, then I decided it applies to me, and then I experience it by faith. What Jesus is saying to them is you know about God, you know the law backwards and forwards. You know the Psalms, you've got them all memorized. You know the scriptures what you don't know is you have not had an experience with the god of the scriptures you simply know them as your tool to beat these people down read matthew 23 it's exactly what he tells them you've not experienced god you just know about him but then look at the next thing he says verse 55 you've not known him what's the very next word but i jesus know him i'm not just a guy from nazareth that you don't like i know god i know the father and the greek word here for know is inherently and intuitively and in every way you can know something i know the father in essence and in nature i am god i know the father Intimately know him. And notice how Jesus puts it. I can't deny the father if I wanted to. Because if I did, I'd be a liar. Like you. That's pretty powerful stuff. He's speaking to these people, these guys. The religious leaders of the Jewish nation of Israel. He's saying, I can't deny God. Because if I did, I'd be like you. I'd be a liar. You don't know him. You just say that you do. Unlike you, I keep his word important to me. We just read over in John 17, in that great high priestly prayer, Jesus said, Father, glorify me with the glory we had which before the world began. And right before that, he said, I've done everything you sent me to do. And constantly as you go through the gospel, you hear Jesus praying. He's always praying, I want to do the Father's will. I want to do the Father's will. When he taught us how to pray, what did he say? Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be your name, your Kingdom come, your... We're all going to memorize the Lord's prayer. Your will be done. That's the essence of prayer. I'm here, Father, to honor you, and I'm here, Father, to do your will. Jesus says, as he gets ready to leave, as he closes out his ministry, he says, I've done that. I've done that. I did everything you sent me to do, Father. Now you glorify me as I die, as I come back from the dead, and I'll glorify you and then the entire world will see. Earlier in his ministry, Jesus had said this. When you lift me up, I will draw all men unto me. When he said, I'm the resurrection and the life, at the raising of Lazarus from the dead, he said, I'm the resurrection and the life. He who lives and believes in me, though he may die physically like Lazarus, yet he will live. He who lives and believes in me will never die. What's the very next thing he said? Anybody remember? Do you remember? Believe this. Do you believe this? You see, Jesus has been raised up. To this day, 2,000 years later, he is still the most talked about, controversial figure that has ever walked planet Earth. And by the way, he said that's the way it would be, didn't he? Think about it in your own family. Are there people in your family that don't believe like you do? I have relatives that don't talk to me because they, they disagree with what I believe. Jesus said, I came to bring a sword. You're going to have to hate your father and mother. What he meant was, do you, are you going to follow me or not? Am I, am I going to be your priority or not? Believe my word. Keep it. Obey it. Intimately, I know the father. I can't deny him. I know him. Now it's really going to get tested for him. Look at verse 56. Jesus' first proof is I have the honor of God your father. You call him your father, but also have the honor of Abraham your father. Uh-oh. Now he started meddling. That's what they're thinking. Verse 56. Your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day, and he saw it, and he was glad. The Jews said to him, you're not yet 50 years old and you've seen Abraham? Pause there for a moment. What I've been telling you repeatedly today, their only focus was what? Physical, 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 earthly. You're not 50 years old and you you knew Abraham? That's not possible. They still miss it, don't they? You're not even 50. How could you possibly know Abraham? And in that great verse, 58, Jesus said to them, I, with absolute authority, speak to you absolute truth. Before Abraham was, I am. Remember, they're Jewish. They're Jewish scholars. They're Jewish experts in the law. You think they knew the book of Exodus? You better believe they knew it. And when Jesus said, before Abraham was, I am, they immediately hearkened to Exodus 3.14, as we would know it, where God told Moses, that's my name. I am that I am. You just tell them, I am is going to set them free. What's Jesus saying in John chapter 8? I am is going to set you free. If you'll let him, I am. That's the absolute truth. I have honor of Abraham, your father. Look back at verse 56. It's such a cool verse. Your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day, and he saw it, and he was glad. They're like, what? What are you talking about? Abraham, remember they're Jews. They're scholars. Abraham was a god to them. He was at the top. He was the Mount Rushmore, him and Moses and David, maybe Elijah. That's it. You're telling us Abraham looked forward to your day? Look how Jesus put it. He saw it, and he was glad. The father of all Israel, the one who would bless all the nations, including the Gentiles, he knew about the coming day of the Messiah. Paul says in Galatians, God preached the gospel to Abraham. He got to see it, how God did it, I don't know. He looked forward to it. What do you think Abraham and Isaac talked about as they're walking up Mount Moriah, so he, he's going to kill him? And Abraham, Isaac's whole life growing up, what do you think Abraham had talked to him about? Son, you're the heir. You're the most significant guy on planet Earth after I'm gone. Isaac, and then God, well, we're going up top of this mountain, and i got to kill you. Such a powerful picture of faith because Hebrews tells us Abraham believed God was going to he was going to slice Isaac's throat sacrifice him on the altar and he was going to die and God was going to bring him back from the dead. Why? Because God said Isaac is the one. God is either truth or he's not. Abraham believed. Now back to John 8. These people worshipped Abraham. Jesus said, you call Abraham your father, he looked forward to my day. What do you think about it? You know what they're thinking? We're going to kill you. That's what they're thinking. we got to get rid of you. You're a troublemaker. What are you talking about? Your father looked forward to my day. Remember, they're Old Testament experts, and yet they missed every messianic prophecy. There were hundreds of them, pictures, types, and prophecies every king, every prophet, every sacrifice, every ritual, the temple, the tabernacle. Just read through the Old Testament. It's all shadows, pictures, and prophecies of Jesus Christ. Verse 56, one more time. Your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day. You know what it means in Greek? The word rejoiced? It's kind of a cool word. It means he jumped for joy. He jumped for joy because God gave him the great covenant. Unconditional covenant, Abraham. I will, I will, I will. Abraham was asleep when God cut the covenant. I will, I will, I will. I'm going to give you a seed, Abraham. And through that seed, all the nations of the earth are going to be blessed. You're not going to do anything, Abraham, except have a son. He even got that wrong. Abraham even messed that up. God had to straighten that out. But he did. You know why God straightened it out and didn't start over? Because he made Abraham a promise. God keeps his word. No, it's not Ishmael, Abraham. It's Sarah and her son. Oh, Lord, we're 100 years old. We can't have any kids. Did I tell you, Isaac, you were going to have, uh, Abraham, you were going to have a son? You are, and his name is Isaac. You know what Isaac means in Hebrew? Laughter. Because that was Abraham and Sarah's response, but God said, you're going to have a child. And They laughed, just like we would. God came to me and said, you're going to have a child? I'd be, No, I don't believe that's going to happen, Lord. God keeps His word. Abraham jumped for joy because God was allowing him to be the instrument through whom he was going to bring the seed. By the way, go back to Genesis 3:15. what did God say to Satan in Genesis 3:15 after original sin, "The seed of the woman is going to come, and it will crush your head." And by the way, that's what happened the day Jesus rose from the dead, fulfilled that prophecy. He crushed Satan's head, defeated him when he rose from the dead. God keeps his word pictured in his offering of Isaac. Abraham honors me, but you want to kill me. Verse 57, the Jews said to him, you're not yet 50 years old and you've seen Abraham? You still don't get it. You're still focus on the physical and in that great claim. I'm going to read to you a passage that's familiar to you just listen closely from Hebrews chapter 11, what we call the hall of faith. Just listen to the words. It lists all these people, and it talks about all the others, and doesn't even mention them by name, Old Testament martyrs. It said, these all died in faith, not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off, they were assured of them. Number one, they embraced them, number two. And confessed, agreed, number three, that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. It's exactly what Jesus is talking about aside. Hear my word, believe my word, obey my word. Confess means agree. I agree, God, that that's true. That's for me. And I'm going to live my life in light of it. These people all died believing. They didn't see it on earth. They believed it. Hang with me. For those who say such things, back to Hebrews... Declare plainly, they seek a homeland. And truly, if they had called to mind that country from which they had come out, they would have had opportunity to return. But now, they desire a better, that is, a heavenly country. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. People were persecuted, read the Hebrews 11, tortured, cut in half, stoned, left for dead. Even the apostle Paul's life, all that he went through. Why? Because they believed God and his word. What Jesus is trying to explain to them in John 8 is you've got to believe I am and trust my word and it will change how you live your life because you'll be living, one of my favorite phrases And God taught me years ago as a young probably been on staff a year and met with this guy and we talked about it. The idea of eternal perspective in everything you do. Because eternity is forever. This life on earth is simply a dot on the line of infinity. A dot. And yet we spend all our time living for the dot and not for the line. We'll share a true story with you and then we're done. I'm going to finish early. I don't want this become a habit. I finished the outline and I finished early. I'm so proud of myself. There is a... (laughs) You know what this proves to you? There is a God. The New Hebrides Islands had no Christian influence before John Williams and James Harris from the London Missionary Society went there in 1839. The New Hebrides Islands... They landed there in 1839. Less than five minutes later, both missionaries were killed and eaten by cannibals. They weren't there five minutes. Eighteen years later, Pastor John Patton, 32 32 years old, he sensed God's call to return to these people with the gospel. Same place, New Hebrides. But some objected. Patton wrote, Amongst many who sought to deter me was one dear old Christian gentleman, Whose crowning argument always was, the cannibals, you'll be eaten by cannibals. To this, Patton responded, Mr. Dixon, you are advanced in years now, and your own prospect is soon to be laid in the grave, there to be eaten by worms. I confess to you that if I can but live and die serving and honoring the Lord Jesus, it will make no difference to me whether I'm eaten by cannibals or by worms. And in the great day, my, res- in that great day, My resurrection body will rise as fair as yours in the likeness of our risen Redeemer. John Patton wrote that in his autobiography. Christians live for the line, not the dot. We have an eternal perspective on life. And therefore death is not an issue for us. Because Jesus is the great I am. Let's pray. Father, we are as always, humbled before you as our Father, that we can call you that because of Jesus Christ, because he is the I Am. Like Abraham, we're excited about his day. He came, he died, he was buried. But praise God, he rose again. Thank you, Father, for loving me that much. Thank you for loving us that much. And may we lovingly, respectfully, and gently Tell people about that Jesus because most people don't know him that way. They've gotten a misunderstanding somewhere along the line. A lot of times church has been at fault for that. Preachers have been at fault for that. Help us as individual believers, ambassadors for Christ, lovingly share who he is. And We pray in his name. Amen. Please stand as we close out our time together. great message in that song. Thank you, Peter. Just a couple of things I want to mention to you. Ask Chad to make his way up here. He can close us in prayer. Uh, we've begun working semi next door, lining up stuff. Even had a, uh, about here this week, I had to help me break into the building. So uh, my arthritic hand would not quite turn that key hard enough. So we had to, had to, it's funny, I went down to the parking lot, he was picking up his kid, I said, man, can you help me for a minute, he, I guess he, he thought I was homeless or something, I was. Trying, he goes, what do you want? I said, I need you to pull on this door so I can get this key to work, and he said, oh, okay, I can do that for you. So, We're excited that uh, God is, we're finally getting there, we're beginning to do things, and uh, as I said last week, keep praying for poor old Steve Nance, trying to coordinate all this, it's a lot of work, and uh, you keep praying, we're excited about what God's gonna, how we're going to use that building. And again, you keep praying about what the Lord would have you do in giving to the Arlington Expansion Funds and we can uh, uh, keep that going and and continue your regular giving. We we thank you for your faithfulness in all that you're doing. If you're visiting with us today, we're grateful you've chosen to worship with us here. If you've got any questions about Christ Church, just contact me or Rhiannon or one of the elders. We'd love to talk to you and share with you what, what is a Christ Church. And you begin to think about and pray about uh, what you on Wednesday night, I think it'd be good for us just to get together and encourage one another midweek, back trying to do that again and we want everybody comfortable as I've shared several times I'll do it one more time, whether you're at home or you're here, if you still feel like and want to wear a mask you do that, Uh, I'm still wearing mine a lot Uh, no one, there's no aspersions there's no judgment and if you want to wear one, you wear it, if you don't you don't, and we can space, uh, distance, we're comfortable either way. We love each other. We're a family. It's important that the world sees that Christians love one another. That's what Jesus said. That's how they're going to know your mind. You love each other. So what you guys know I love you, and, and it's an honor for me to serve you. Remember, we got to get this ready for tomorrow after Chad gets through leading us in prayer.